charities that take to fundraise on their own channels typically fall flat. And the reason is, is that they lack authenticity. It kind of becomes this faceless organization with clips of pre-recorded stories with no human connection that doesn't include the elements of what makes fundraising on Twitch successful. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Collins-Ellis, and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I'm the Managing Director here at IG, and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, businesses, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique access to both donors and fundraisers, and we want to help them better understand each other. And so we bring you season three of What Donors Want, our fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising from the donor's perspective. In each episode, we'll interview a donor and get right down to it. What do they actually want from the fundraisers who cultivate them. This advice and more straight from the donor's mouth. Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, and I'm the producer and host of the show, and very excited to share this next episode with you, which was recorded for and virtually broadcasted at the Institute of Fundraising's 2020 convention. For those of you who don't know, convention is the largest fundraising conference in Europe, and we were so excited to be a part of it with What Donors Want again, because we did it also last year. We did a live recording of the podcast. Before we dive into this episode, of course, a huge thank you to our official season three sponsor, the Siegel Family Foundation. And for listeners, I want to encourage you to submit any questions that you might have for one of our future guests so we can give you a shout out on the air. So you can find a link to the submission form in this episode description. It's also on our Twitter at IG underscore advisors. So please do check us out. Let us know if you have any feedback, any questions. We really want to hear from you. All right, on to the recording, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So, welcome everyone at IOF. Thank you so much for joining this session today. And and first and foremost, we hope this finds you well and healthy. We know this is a bit of a, a, a non-traditional year. I, we were at IOF last year doing a real live recording, which was super exciting. So, it's great to be in your ears and on your screens in this year. So hopefully you know that you've dialed in to view a live recording of our podcast, What Donors Want. I'm joined by our amazing guests and also by my colleague, Erin Nini Longhurst. Erin's actually a director at IG's sister company, Social Misfits Media. So I'm going to hand it over to Erin to introduce today's episode. Thanks, Rachel. Hello, IOF from social isolation here in London. So as Rachel said, my name's Erin and I'm a director at one of IG's sister companies, Social Misfits Media. At Social Misfits, we help purpose-led organizations create and implement dynamic social media strategies. And I'm super excited to be co-hosting the show today. Today's episode is all about Twitch, which I'm very excited about. It's the world's largest live streaming platform visited by over 15 million people every day. It's the live streaming network of choice for gamers and was bought by Amazon just three years after its launch because of its massive popularity. The stats really speak for themselves. Over 450 million hours have been spent watching Twitch, with some of the live streaming channels boasting over a million viewers watching at any one time. It's also not just about gaming. Twitch began as a video game streaming platform, but also hosts DJ sets, workouts, live art and crafts, and much more. For charities, Twitch represents a huge, unprecedented opportunity for online fundraising. With more than $100 million raised for charities on the platform so far, it's literally a complete game changer. Thanks, Erin. 
So to dive into this further, today on the show, we are thrilled to be speaking with Alyssa Sweetman, who is Twitch's charity program manager and an expert on how charitable organizations can effectively participate in and leverage influencer fundraising. And of course, we're also thrilled to be joined by a second guest, Daniel Casper Bong, who's actually one of Twitch's live stream fundraising gamers, known as Casper on the platform. Daniel has raised over a quarter of a million dollars for charities on Twitch, which is absolutely incredible. And he hosts an annual fundraising marathon for the causes that he cares most about. So Ali and Daniel, thank you so much for being here on the show today. Thanks for dialing in. It's so wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Before we dive into the meat of the interview, which is, of course, all about Twitch, how charities can leverage it for their fundraising, for their missions, we always start what donors want off with a speed round of get to know you questions. And the whole idea is that we're all just people. And that's really important to remember when you're when you're thinking about influencers and fundraising and power dynamics and, and all that jazz. So we have a few questions that we're going to speed fire at you, and then we'll get into it. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. Sounds great. Okay. So first question is for Ali. What has been the best show or movie that you've watched during lockdown? I rewatched Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even say it's the best. I just rewatched it. <laughs> I hear you. I, I respect that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm definitely not alone in rewatching Gilmore Girls. I know oh. at least one person on this past <laughs> recording who has done the same. So several times. It's a great series. Yeah, it is a great series. My question is for Daniel. What games have you been playing during lockdown? Oh goodness, there's so many that I've been kind of diving into. One of my favorite ones is definitely Overcooked. Overcooked Two, actually. So that's the sequel to Overcooked that came out about four years ago. It's this chaotic, hectic cooking game where uh, there is now online co-op. So I'm actually going to be playing that later today after recording. And it's a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, but it's also a lot of fun. And from that same vein, actually, I've been playing a lot of cooking games for whatever reason. Cook, Serve, Delicious 3 is also the sequel to 2 and the original many years ago now. Equally as chaotic, it's almost like a typing game where you have to press different keys to cook certain things and people get mad at you if you make it wrong. Kind of like real life. So apparently I just like getting yelled at by video games, really. So. That is amazing. Ali, when are you most productive throughout the day? Around 10 p.m. to midnight. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you know it because that's what I'm messaging you. Yes, that's always when you're messaging me and we talk about charity things or just random personal things. We've been friends for about five years now. So it's, yeah, yeah we, we talk about all sorts of things at night. That is awesome. This one is for Daniel. What's your favorite season in the year? Ooh, my favorite season. That's actually changed over the years. I used to like spring a lot just because it was nice and cool, but warm at the same time. I'm from Canada originally, so it's a nice temperature around that time. And then it switched to winter just because I love the snow and also because I was deathly allergic to bees as a kid. And then these days it's more so fall. So I've hit every single season except for summer because it's way too hot. I totally hear you. I'm also from Canada, so I have a very similar answer. Ali, cooking or takeout? Cooking. And if you don't have a sous vide machine or a submersion cooking machine, I advise you get one. Amazing. I have a separate question actually for Daniel, but I'm going to make it a two part. So Daniel, with your cooking or takeout, does your love of cooking, is it only the gaming or do you love cooking in real life as well? I've been getting more into cooking, especially with the lockdown as of late. And then my last question for you is actually city or countryside. Ooh, 
Oh, that is way too hard because I love the city side, but countryside, just getting away from everything, that's been really nice. So I actually live in the city, but on weekends, more often than not, during the days, I usually escape to the countryside just to enjoy nature and whatnot. So Amazing. And where are you both dialing in from today? I'm dialing in from San Francisco. That's where Twitch HQ is. And I'm dialing in from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Ah, amazing. I do love Calgary. So beautiful. Oh, it is. Awesome. So that is the end of the speed round. Officially survived it. So thank you for indulging us in that. Now, of course, on to the meat of the interview, really diving into your work at Twitch from both of your perspectives, which is so fascinating. So first question over to you, Ali. You are Twitch's charity program manager, and you're an expert in all things influencer fundraising. So could you tell listeners a little bit about your background? How did you get into the worlds of gaming and charity and what are your primary responsibilities at Twitch? Sure. So this all happened by accident, really. I was in college and the person I was dating at the time was like, we both played video games and he was like, you should stream on Twitch. And I was like, what is a Twitch? what do you mean stream on the internet? And I had the same general thoughts that most people did when you hear the words stream on the internet as an individual. So I looked it up and I didn't even watch a single live stream before going live. I had no idea what I was doing. And you tack on the fact I did, looked at nobody else doing it to have the example. And so I started streaming for fun. I did mostly retro games. And then on Twitter, I really disliked the platform Twitter, but it was so necessary for being on Twitch and communicating with other people. And I liked a tweet from a group that was veteran focused. It was a civilian veteran group and it was about basically civilians who understood veterans so that they could game with them and they could feel like a part of regular life. It was really cool. So when I joined, they were like, and we have this charity event coming up. And I was like, wait, 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 you can do that. I can sit on my butt at home and do charity. (laughs) I like this. And when I like something, I tend to go dive in 110%. We get a little obsessive with it. And within just a few weeks of joining that group, I was leading their charity projects. And then that group, when they dissolved, gaming groups tend to dissolve, they ebb and flow. I started my own. And that's Mm -hmm. how I met my boss, asking for support from Twitch for one of our events. And then I finished college and I was teaching second grade. And my boss reached out to people in the industry who, because it's so niche, he had to reach out. You know, there's only a handful of people to reach out to that really understand it. So I went through the interview process and I was really just went through the interview process to do it. I was like, I'm not going to get the job offer. This is weird. I was like, but I'll take a trip to California and and see a Twitch HQ. Cool. I get to say I did that. And they came back with an offer and here I am. It's been crazy because it was just something that turned into a hobby and I was doing it in college and while teaching and I've really grown to love the idea of what somebody on a platform, whether, and typically people who, people don't like being called influencers and I think it's because it's become a buzzword, but I do like the idea of what people who have influence to people that admire them can do with that Mm -hmm. and the direction they can go. That's so cool. It's so... I totally agree. And it's so interesting to, that you had such rich experience at both sides of that, that intersection, the gaming and the charity worlds, and that you, you were able to bring that together. Could you 
bring some of your work at Twitch to life in the sense of, could you share one of your favorite charity campaigns or success stories on the platform that that's really inspired you over the years? Yeah. So my favorite success story is more social impact driven than it is nonprofit driven. Mm -hmm. Prior to starting at Twitch, Twitch had launched a campaign called Unity Day, which was this day they were celebrating in the month of May. It was the idea of celebrating all people, but it was a single day. And in my first year at Twitch, the second half of my first year at Twitch, I was able to really advocate that um, our company should be publicly celebrating things like Black History Month and Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. Pride's always a really easy one because it's rainbows and it's super fun. So they were already celebrating Pride a little bit. And now the program started with me and I'm not a traditional marketer. I have a hard time thinking of how a company would speak to say things. And now that program lives with our marketing team and it's grown so huge. And we now have Black History Month, Women's History Month, the Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Pride, Asian American Pacific Heritage or Island Heritage Month. That was a really long one. I always get the, the last part of it mixed up. And Hispanic and Latinx History Month. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're celebrating so many different types of people and we've grown to include charity elements in those programs. And we just launched yesterday, May 28th, our Pride campaign for this year. Amazing. Supporting the Trevor Project. So it's really great. That's awesome. So now kind of think talking to Daniel, you know, you're one of Twitch's live stream fundraising gamers, but you're also very involved in the space more broadly, working at Tiltify, and you also host your own podcast, amongst many other things. Can you tell us about your background too? How did you get into the worlds of gaming and charity? Sure. So it was pretty similar to Ali's story because we were actually in the same degree or a similar degree. I was in college to become a teacher myself. And while I was going through that, I had these aspirations because ever since I was a younger kid, around 13, 14, I was actually playing competitive Call of Duty. And I was actually one of the best in Canada, at least at the time, but I was still so young. So I still had so far to go, but also I didn't really have access to the technology in order to do so. So when I was 13, 14, it was the original one on PC. And then I was doing really well, dominating the field. And then Call of Duty 2 came out. So its sequel came out and my computer couldn't handle it. So I had to stop because I didn't want to ask my parents to purchase a new computer, spend money on that. And realistically, I thought that was pretty frivolous anyways. So I decided to kind of move on with my life, went into college. And when I got to college, you know, I had a little bit more income and I heard about Twitch and what it was and it was gaming at the time. So I had these aspirations to become the next live streaming esports superstar trying to be a professional gamer. So I tried to do that. And it didn't go so well because apparently it's really hard to be the best at a video game. I (laughs) didn't know that. So a couple months into that dream, it kind of failed. But from that, I heard about what Twitch was, live streaming platform. And the most important thing for me was you didn't have to be the best. People would watch you for your personality or the content that you're creating. And yes, it originally began with gaming, but now it's evolved into so many other things. And you see things like talk shows or podcasts cooking or arts or a million different things on the platform. So I kind of transitioned from that. I found out about a prolific content creator named Jason Love or Man Vs. Game. He was one of the biggest influencers on Twitch at the time. And he was doing fundraising for charity. It was for the Breast Cancer Research Foundation at the time with his friend Ezekiel III. And from that, I, I realized that I can combine these two passions. When I was a kid, I lost my best friend to breast cancer at the age of 14. So I wanted to do a lot more with charity 
and to kind of support these causes. So I could meld my love for gaming with trying to become a personality, not necessarily the best gamer in the world. And I could also fundraise for charity. So that's kind of how it all got started so many years ago. Thank you. And what's the one Twitch fundraising campaign you're the most proud of? The one that I'm most proud of that I've taken part of is actually called Quest for the Cause. So that is my own personal charity event that I started. That was eight years ago. So from the fallout of watching Jason and Zeke do this fundraiser for the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, I realized that I want to do the same thing. So even though my channel and my community was only about three months old at the time, very small uh, in terms of growth, we wanted to do something. And I didn't have the connections. I didn't know Twitch like staff or anything like that. And very much back then, there wasn't too many people that were visible to contact and get a hold of and to get assistance with. This was back in 2012. So I decided to do it myself. I reached out to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, got in contact with them, talked with them, talked them through the process of what I was doing. It was super foreign at the time, still kind of is foreign to this day. And long story short, it was myself, a bunch of local friends, just playing things like Dance Central 3 and playing uh, scary horror games and whatnot, encouraging donations. And that is my most memorable moment because that first year we raised $3,500, which was unheard of at the time for sure. And now it has evolved to raise almost half a million dollars in our ninth iteration last year. Wow. And how much money have you raised for charities in total on the platform? On the platform, I've raised about a quarter of a million dollars through personal campaigns that I've done or Quest for the Cause. Uh, well, not Quest for the Cause included in that, just campaigns that I've done individually on my own as the Casper moniker. But with events that I've organized, had a direct influence with, that number actually skyrockets to somewhere around three, four million dollars today. Wow. And you're just talking about your role as a, a Twitch partner. That's not even what you've influenced as a community manager for Tiltify. Yeah, for sure. Over at Tiltify, I work as the community manager for the past four years. So I work directly with influencers as well as charities. So I've enabled charities to find success in terms of getting involved with these influencers and content creators. And then on the content creator side, even just today, there's many activations going on with the current state of the world, with the lockdown and with the bushfires earlier this year. So through all that, I've been able to interact with a lot of influencers to raise a whole lot more. Let's put it that way. That's Incredible. So interesting. I mean, Twitch is this clearly this extraordinary opportunity for charities that are using it also for those that haven't even discovered it yet. So Ali, could you break this down a little bit? Could you walk us through some of the practicalities behind the scenes? What goes into raising money on Twitch? What does that look like? So I'm going to ask you to specify your question. When you say raise money on the platform, do you mean charities that A, want to raise money in a live stream of their own, B, raise money through influencers. And then the other part of it is, do you mean the practicalities of what the influencer has to do to raise money? So the first two elements, because we'll ask Daniel about that last piece, but would love to know essentially all the different ways that charities can take advantage of Twitch. So whether it's, as you say, raising money themselves or working with an influencer and being the kind of focus of a campaign. What are those options yeah. behind the scenes? Yeah, how do they do it? So currently, I will start off by saying that charities that take to fundraise to Twitch on their own, on their own channels, typically fall flat. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is that they lack authenticity. It kind of becomes this faceless organization with clips of pre-recorded stories with no human connection that doesn't include the elements of what makes fundraising on Twitch successful. Mm -hmm. So 
that one is always one I'm giving lots of advice on and I'm, and lots of thoughts on, but nonprofits, they see Twitch and they see gaming and they hear esports. And even though I tell them, like, think of it as a content creation platform. Yes, it started as gaming. Yes, it's primary gaming right now, but that's only because it started off as gaming. Mm-hmm. And then I have to, I say, usually we say something like, you're not an entertainment company. Your goal is not to entertain people. So putting random employees on a Twitch channel, playing some video games, I mean, some of your employees might be entertaining, but what we know is that community channels with a rotating streamer, with even if it's a consistent schedule, too many people on the same channel makes it really hard to grow because people might like who's on Tuesday, but they're not going to like who's on Wednesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to fundraise for something on their own channel and a content-driven piece that they're doing themselves, it needs to lean into their mission. So if their mission is research, having right now is a perfect time, panels of doctors to answer questions, to talk about stories of patients, to share things. Gamers are multifaceted individuals. People who, for instance, like working out, that's not the only thing they like to do. They probably like to watch movies or read comics. And so the idea that when people think of gamers, they think gamers only have one hobby tends to drive a lot of content decisions that charities might make. So that's the first part Mm -hmm. on how they might go about it. And I'm always down to work with a nonprofit if they want to think about their content plan. The second piece really, really falls into authenticity. Lots of nonprofits will see an article. It's slowly changing because it's becoming much more of a norm. But they'll see an article, XY Big Streamer did charity event, raised money. And I would get an email saying, hi, we would like Twitch to give us money. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, let me explain what Twitch is. And they usually reference the article and let me explain what this influencer did. And it really boils down to relationships. And that's not very scalable. So you're telling me as a nonprofit, I have to have a person who's willingly and dedicated to be almost available all the time to talk with a group of influencers on the internet. And I'm like, yes, it is not scalable, but it turns into something scalable. St. Jude is a really great example. And the reason I use St. Jude and not Extra Life is because Extra Life's program existed before Twitch and Mm. St. Jude's program started because of Twitch. Mm. So when they first started, Zach Witten, amazing human, he was doing uh, their website for them. And he's like, I have this cool idea. And St. Jude's like, I don't even know what that means. Sure, go try it out. They didn't think it would be very successful. And I think the first year they did like 40,000. And that's a big number, especially five years ago. That's a big number today for a charity starting off. Mm -hmm. And it really boils down to the relationships he built. Hey, I'm so-and-so. I saw you on Twitter and being really authentic. He's one of the most honest people. He'll never tell an influencer, I love your content if he actually hasn't seen their content. And that's really what it boils down to is who in your organization can you either put in this position to run this program? Because even though I work at Twitch, I try to frame all the advice I give to work with any influencer on any platform at any time. Mm -hmm. And if there's nobody in your organization that feels comfortable doing it and kind of being a community manager, then who, who can you hire? And that's my first step. I always tell people is to sign up on a platform that influencers use to fundraise. And I recommend 
Deltify personally. I give them several options. Deltify is my personal favorite and also, in my opinion, the easiest to work with. Mm-hmm. And once they get on a platform, whether it be Tiltify or another, then I'm like, cool, what's your plan to attract influencers? So they're like, well, we signed up. And I'm like, a lot of charities have signed up, but what are you going to do? And so usually we talk through strategies of like, how do you connect with influencers? Mm-hmm. When you email them, what things should you do or should you not do? Mm-hmm. For example, my, and Daniel can attest to this, when a streamer or an influencer gets an email, hello, content creator. <laughs> I love your content. I saw it last week and I think you'd be a great fit. And usually what happens is those those get screen capped. The more professional influencers will block out who it's from and the company, but they'll share it and be like, how many other people got this exact email? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll still people comment going, I haven't made content in three months. What do they mean? They saw me last week. So it's, it's really about that authenticity and that connection mm-hmm. and understanding that even if they don't fundraise for you today, the connection is what's most important because they could fundraise for you in the future. Mm-hmm. And the first 10 to 20 influencers are the hardest. Once you get your first 10, 20 out of the way, it becomes pretty, pretty easy because people see that people have already fundraised for you. Wow. So that's so interesting. So just to recap, so there's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that there's these two avenues. So there's the charity fundraising for themselves and managing their own community on Twitch. And then there's the charity being featured in the campaign of an influencer that they build a relationship with. And then the influencer fundraises for them through whatever medium they choose on the platform. Is that right? Yep. Okay. That's so interesting. A few more practicality questions and then would love Daniel, of course, to dive into your experience on the other side of that table. Quick question. So how does money actually flow through Twitch? What is the mechanism for donation? When people give money, who are they giving it to? So Twitch tools are not charitable giving tools. Mm -hmm. So when you subscribe to a Twitch channel, which is our function of giving someone a monthly monetary subscription, or you're sitting in a channel and an ad plays and the streamer receives ad revenue, or if you choose to cheer in a channel and then the streamer receives monetary value from the action, those all go to the creator. Mm-hmm. They they pass through Twitch and go to the creator. So none of Twitch's tools are fundraising mechanisms, which is why we work closely with platforms like Tiltify yeah. and Just Giving and Donor Drive, who right. will reach out from the occasion and say, "Hey, can we get feedback on this?" And so when a creator reaches out to me and says, "Hey, I'd really like to fundraise for this," sometimes I get these emails and they're like, "But I can't figure out where to fundraise for them." I'm like, okay, let me see if I can reach out for you. Mm-hmm. And I will go through the process of first I message Deltify and say, hey, have you already had a conversation with this charity? If it's a yes, I'm like, cool, where did it stop so I can help move it along? Mm-hmm. If it's a no, I'm like, cool, well, I'm reaching out to this charity. If they come through your pipeline, let me know. And it's actually really great to have that kind of a relationship with a fundraising platform that's built so specifically for influencers because even yesterday in the morning I woke up to with everything that's unfortunately going on in America I'm sure that you've seen the news Mm -hmm. there's a couple of nonprofits in Minnesota that have been it's like screenshot match my donation but people always want to know where they can fundraise so musician reached out to our our music team and was like hey this Saturday I want to fundraise for this nonprofit they don't have any peer-to-peer tools my wording not theirs uh Mm -hmm. 
how do we do this? And I was like, well, we'll see if we can get in touch with them. It's a uh, really rough. So I called Delta Fine. I was like, Hey, have you reached out to this charity? They're like, yes, but they haven't heard back. So I emailed, they emailed again, they responded to me. And I was like, Hey, this person wants to fundraise for you. There's no peer to peer tools you have check out Tiltify. If this is something you're comfortable with, please sign up ASAP so we can get this going. And thankfully they responded very quickly. And within like a few hours between myself and Tiltify, we were able to get them on Tiltify so creators could fundraise for them. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times fundraising on on Twitch can be really reactive. So nonprofits Mm -hmm. who are like, no one's going to care about me today should sign up either. And if they're already on a platform that offers streaming tools, they should opt into those because when creators see a situation, they're going to look for something they can do. And if they can't look for something they do, they may well-intentioned do something that's maybe not legal or they'll fundraise for a charity that's a different organization that maybe only kind of addresses the problem because that's what's available. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Okay, over to you, Aaron. I really wanted to kind of build upon the relationship kind of aspect of it because, you know, at Social Misfits and our work with different platforms, the amount of times we see nonprofits and charities just use it as a vehicle for doing these kind of outreach just to push their messages. And again, not really taking these people on a journey and building relationships. My question is really for Daniel, you know, you're someone who's fundraised for charities on Twitch. Can you speak about, I guess, your perspective and like how do you uh, as an influencer choose the charities you want to fundraise for sure so when it comes down to it it comes down to personal experience and that authenticity that ali was talking about so for example Mm -hmm. for me i I love talking through stories so for me i lost my best friend to cancer breast cancer when i was 14 and i have a lot of survivor's guilt because i had my own medical conditions i had a much lower survival rate than she did and she didn't get to live on whereas i did So I have to deal with that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and it's very difficult. So for me, I have that pseudo bias where I want to support cancer research. That is something that I want to do because that is something that she would have wanted me to kind of see through, see a future without cancer, essentially. So that's the first thing is that personal connection. And the thing about charities out there is that when if they heard me say that, and they're an organization that deals with animal cruelty, animal shelters, mental health awareness, things like that, they might hear that and say, oh, well, I guess I can't get in touch with them. That's definitely not the case because just like Ali said, we have multiple interests and multiple things that we're passionate about. Yes, my main thing is cancer, but mental health is also equally as important to me. And you won't know that until you talk to them, number one, and number two, do your research. So influencers, we have our lives on the internet. And we can keep that as public or as private as we can try, but more or less, it's going to be out there. And for me, I'm not shy about my medical history. It's been coming out more and more over the last couple of years, and people have been able to kind of figure that out. And I appreciate anyone that does. But if you're using fundraising platforms that exist, like Tiltify, for example, and you can go through my history and see all the different fundraisers that I've done. And you can know that I've done fundraisers for To Write Love on Her Arms, which is mental health awareness. My event, Quest for the Cause, has supported so many different things, including animal shelters, animal cruelty, mental health, cancer research, veterans as well. So we cover a wide array of charities that we supported. So that might be an indicator of that interest. For something maybe a little bit more public as animal cruelty and things of that sort, does this person have a pet? (laughs) It can start as simple as that, where you can look at their Instagram accounts or their Twitter accounts, do a deep dive, 
we're not talking about months and months of research because, you know, that kind of gets weird. But 30 minutes looking at a VOD, looking at a recording of a previous event that they did, you can hear them and you can even hear it in my voice as well while you're listening or watching the video. Like, I'm passionate about these things and these things are things that I care about. So it goes back ultimately to that due diligence that's like, what do I care about? And does that align with kind of your mission, your message? And if not, maybe there is something that you can find a connection with. So reaching out, doing your research, that would be the number one thing. And then for the influencer side, me personally, and most people actually do this, we do our research as well on the organization. So whether we are looking for an organization to fundraise for initially, or maybe there's some type of crisis or something going on on the world right now that we want to know more about and how we can support. Um, doing that research, understanding what you're supporting and what XYZ organization does is super critical. So tools like Charity Navigator, for example, that's something that I originally did in 2012, 2013, primarily. And even to this day, I want to understand their mission, where the money goes, and how much of that, how many uh, cents of the dollar is going back into these programs that they are doing. That's so funny. You tell them to go look at this stuff. My response to nonprofits really is, if they have an email available, a short, quick email that's not going to go to their spam saying, hey, I saw your email on Twitter. I saw you stream on Twitch or you make YouTube videos. This is what we're about. Please let me know if you're interested in learning more. can go a long way. It doesn't put the onus on them to decide right then, but sometimes you might not know looking at someone's Twitter or Instagram what it is. Yeah, that reach out is, is equally as important. As long as it doesn't sound kind of robotic and copy paste, essentially, like I appreciate those all the time. And of course, I've received those on the influencer side as well as on the charity influencer relations side as well. So. Just a quick follow-up on that. Would you say in terms of cold outreaches, so even if, as you say, this kind of personalized, short, snappy email versus the influencer finding the charity, how often does it work when charities reach out to influencers to start to build that relationship? Would you say it has a high success rate? It has a higher success rate than zero. That is, that is definitely <laughs> true. And uh, again, it goes back to that authenticity. So I know times right now, it's much more difficult to see people face-to-face. But I always, the advice that I always give is definitely number one, if you can go to where the players play essentially and go to these conventions and meet them and put a face to the name, remove that faceless organization kind of persona and give it a face, that is super important. So, one of my favorite examples uh, is an organization called No Kid Hungry, and they wanted to dive into the space in 2019. So, just last year. And long story short, they knew nothing about it. So, we talked to them a couple of times. They got a hold of folks at Twitch, Discord, a couple of these other uh, social platforms and live streaming platforms and got some basic information. And then they kind of just dove in. So one of their executives, they decided to go to Penny Arcade Expo in Boston. So last March. And they want to understand the culture. They were a deer in the headlights. Long story short, they were overwhelmed. They met up with a couple of the influencers that they knew. They essentially held their hand, kind of showed them the lay of the land because it's really important to understand this culture. And a year later, they're now finding huge success with influencers because they made that connection. And that was something that I didn't have to explain. This executive's first interaction with an influencer that wasn't myself, they introduced them so personally. They wanted to know about them. Um, an example from Zachary Witten from earlier, when I first met him, he knew nothing about me. It was a, a personal friend that was also an influencer that wanted to introduce me because she said, oh, you know, he works at St. Jude. I know cancer is very important to you. Let me make an intro. And when I got to talk to him at this convention, he immediately turned right towards me. You know, he has a mustache, so he twirled it a little bit and went, tell me about you. 
and he gave me his undivided attention, really cared about what I was saying. I could have said the most random things in the world, and he still would have cared because he he showed that appreciation of who I was and took the time. So mm. that's what I'd say is really important there. Yeah. I mean, it's so, you've basically just echoed what most guests have said on the show. You know, whether you're the Gates Foundation or a Twitch influencer, you know, that it may seem different on the surface, but everyone says that. It's about authenticity, relationships, taking time to build those relationships, not rushing it, not pushing anyone, but kind of allowing space for it to breathe and, and for that trust to grow over time. So it's really cool to hear you echo that. For sure. And the last thing that I do want to say is going back to that cold email concept it's definitely worth it as long as you are echoing that that message of authenticity, just being like, hey, this is our organization and essentially trying your best to show how passionate you as the person working at the org is passionate about your cause. If you mm-hmm. can convey that in a paragraph or two or even a couple lines just to start the conversation, that can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And on cold outreach, when a lot of times when nonprofits reach out to me, they start off with a list of people who just finished a fundraiser. I can't tell you how many people have told me, I just don't respond because they're like, I feel like the only reason they reached out to me is they just saw I did a fundraiser, but I'm not an ATM and neither is the community that donates and supports. Mm -hmm. So even if you're going to do a cold outreach and say your list first starts off with people that are fundraising, Give them a month or two before you send your first cold outreach. And they may not respond or say no, but they'll remember that you shot an email. And anytime you're honest, it's what's remembered most. So if you're if you say, we're new to this space, I'm reaching out to influencers or Twitch creators that I can find their email and just giving them a little bit about us. And then like, here's two lines, basically your quickest elevator pitch in written form ever. And if you want to learn more, get to know me and why I care about working here, let me know. And you just leave the door open and they may not respond or they may reach out or they may investigate, but it's definitely, definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. It's really great advice. I think my question is really around kind of the audience. So obviously we're talking about working with influencers and, and the charity side of things, but who is the average user and donator on the Twitch platform. I think when we think about how different charities or nonprofits can think about flooring and and perhaps allocating some time or or effort in terms of managing the community on Twitch, I think, would you be able to kind of give a bit more insight about, I guess, you know, the average person on, on Twitch? Yeah, absolutely. So when a user signs up, we don't collect any personal identifying information. But what we do know about our platform, and of course, we've done some internal studies and there there is some information. But what I can share is that our demographic on the Twitch platform is typically the demographic that charities don't have. Mm-hmm. A good portion of charities come to us and say, but our current base wouldn't care about this live stream fundraising. And that's such an interesting idea, too because more and more people of a seasoned age are joining Twitch. I have, if you've really looked at like Shirley, the gaming grandma who plays Skyrim on YouTube, who's active on Twitter. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And more and more people are discovering it to share their passions. And so you can be as young as 13, like most internet websites, to have an account and interact on Twitch. And so the demographics really are as young as 13 and and go on up. And 
some of our largest influencers are parents. And so the demographic is really kind of wide and changing all the time. And a fun fact about general gamers, not gamers on Twitch, but gaming as a whole in America specifically, the largest segment of gamers is women over the age of 25. They it's mostly categorized as maybe a stay-at-home mom or someone who doesn't work full-time. And it's because we don't think of gamers as people who play games on their cell phones or internet browser games or puzzle games. They typically, when they think of a gamer, they think of first-person shooters and hardcore adventure games. And I love this tweet I saw the other day about market share from just a, a Twitch streamer. They were, they were like, Animal Crossing is proof that it's not that there's not an audience for these games. It's that they won't make them. <laughs> and that really speaks to me particularly as a, as a woman because while I do occasionally like first-person shooters, most of the games I like, they don't really make them anymore. They don't make these single-person adventure couch co-op games. And every time one of those games come out that's good, it sees instant success. Mm -hmm. So I would say when thinking about the demographic of Twitch, it's growing all the time and it's everybody. And if you think your base isn't interested in it, People that follow you are interested in cooking or there's a wood carver out of Australia who's one of the most wholesome people I've seen. He's recently become an, an overnight sensation. There's all kinds of things. And so you never know who knows and doesn't know about Twitch. When I was teaching, my superintendent was an avid Twitch watcher. And the only reason I knew that is because another teacher who knew what Twitch was when she found out I liked Twitch connected me to the superintendent. They were like, you both like Twitch. And so it's, it's further and wider than you think. So that's, that's a really good point. And it's, I want to just echo that for listeners as well, because so one of the key strategic questions at the heart of so many nonprofits is how do we engage a younger audience of donors? How do we get past our current portfolio that isn't very sustainable? And, you know, they're doing everything they can to understand what millennials and what Gen Zs, what makes them tick. And of course, the idea there is that you're cultivating the future pipeline of your major donors, right? It, just because someone can't give you a major gift today, it doesn't mean they can't in a few years. So it's really cool to hear about that kind of audience diversity and really encourage listeners, IOF attendees, listeners to the podcast to just really, you know, if their gut instinct is, oh, no, our audience wouldn't be on Twitch, maybe to challenge that within themselves, because it's really interesting to hear. And, and if your audience isn't on Twitch, isn't that the whole point? To get a new audience? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fair um, point. So, And even if your audience isn't interested in Twitch, if you send out an email that says, this is something I always recommend, sending out an email to your current base that is fundraised for you or donated, and now you can fundraise for us on Twitch using this platform. Yeah. Maybe only 10% of your base has heard of Twitch, but and of that 10%, maybe only 5% know someone who streams on Twitch, but that's 5% of people in your base that is like, oh, hey, grandson, uh, you stream on Twitch. This charity that I really like, they, they told me that you can fundraise for them. Mm -hmm. And it also can create moments between an older generation. We see all the time influencers bringing their family members on when things are important to them. Mm -hmm. So there's the options and the demographics are just really wide. Mm -hmm. And on the internet, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you care about something, you'll fundraise for it, mm -hmm. even if it's not in your community. And especially now, I, I imagine with lockdown and with all of us having Zoom fatigue, I can imagine Twitch being a really creative outlet and a really creative platform to 
engage people in a different kind of context. I'm not sure if you've seen an uptick in, in activity. I imagine that most online platforms have. Oh, yes. I mean, even for me, like as a user of Twitch, I've seen an uptick in the amount of content that I'm taking in. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the cooking stuff, I'm trying to learn how to cook because mm-hmm. I, I just wasn't in the past. And while I've been cooking over the last couple of years, I'm still an amateur. I wouldn't even call myself an amateur. I burn water still. So uh, I'm trying to learn these, these recipes. And there's so many creators, cooking creators. One of my favorites is Domestic Dan. And he does cooking at least a couple times a week. And just the other day, he was making a cake. I've never made a cake from scratch before in my entire life. I attempted. It was awful, but I learned (laughs) why I did it awfully. And he's also a personal friend. So I reached out. He gave me tips. Like these are things that so many people don't realize is that you can, you know, the uh, Emerald Live, like Emerald Lagasse back in the day where he's cooking and they send you the recipe, like the ingredients that you need beforehand so that you can cook alongside him. Mm. that's a thing just translated into the internet. And that's, mm-hmm. that's something that I, I've been doing as of late. So even I've seen an uptick in terms of what I'm watching for live content. That's so interesting. I've got one more question for you guys, and then I'll turn it over to Aaron to wrap it up. But just want to get a little bit more into a few more practicalities around due diligence. So you've spoken a lot about the relationship building and that kind of very mindful email approach and what that looks like over time. And I just want to ask two quick clarifying questions. So, and this is for both of you. One, does Twitch do any due diligence on charities, if any? And number two, what are the registration limitations? So does someone or does an organization have to be a registered charity? Could they be a social enterprise? Could they be a non-registered entity? Are there any kind of more practical elements like that, that, that listeners should be aware of? So I think it's important to know that each individual channel on Twitch is its own mini business, it's its own storefront, and, and is responsible for for making sure that they understand everything that they're doing. Yeah. Given the 17.5 million people on our platform daily, then it's not something that like any platform could proactively mm-hmm. do for each individual. In terms of anything Twitch specifically gets involved with. So our Unity campaigns or the Twitch stream aid project that we did, we vet those based on factors internally. It's usually aside from, are they a verified nonprofit? What is this nonprofit's history? If you do a Google search on them, are you going to see something like really not great? And then also we look at a global aspect. We're a global company. And so we look for organizations that have global elements Mm -hmm. Not every nonprofit is going to be really robust globally, but for example, the Trevor Project really fits in with our Pride campaign and they have online services that reach globally, which fits the bill. And we get a lot of nonprofits that maybe reach out that fit these basic qualifiers, but Twitch really looks for synergy and we don't, we as a company don't do lead the charity charge very much because we like to support the community and things that they're doing. So we support events like Games Done Quick or GCX or Quest for the Cause. So we look to support creators that are doing really amazing things. Yeah. And in terms of signing up to be able to receive, to have an account on Twitch, anyone can sign up. There's no special accounts between users. It's all one account. There's no delineation between a viewer, a streamer, an organization, or a company. I'll let Daniel talk about the Tiltify restrictions. Yeah. On Tiltify side, it's you have to be a registered nonprofit 501c3 status or equivalent. I know that parts of the world, they have different kind of requirements for that. 
but we have been able to onboard North American charities, European charities, and we even have a couple from Australia as well. So as long as there's some type of uh, nonprofit status that exists and you have a determination letter that you can share with us, that's a great start. Mm -hmm. And just making sure that your organization can use, use these funds that you fundraise for is the number one thing. In terms of from the influencer side of things, it's a mixed bag because there's some folks that want to help the global effort for sure, 100%. But there's also some localization things. So for myself, with Quest for the Cause, our second year, we decided to support the Canadian Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And we wanted to specifically benefit our local charity, so the one in Calgary, Canada with Make-A-Wish, with a couple of these other orgs, they have so many different branches. And while a lot of those branches exist and they, ha- they can take in money to their specific branch, it can also go to the Make-A-Wish International, for example. And either they can divide it and send it to the different branches or they can use it for the global effort as well. So it's kind of a mixed bag there in terms of the influencer side. Sometimes you want to support locally. Sometimes you want to support internationally. Right. That makes sense. And can you clarify as well, for anyone who's not familiar with Tiltify, it's an integration, I believe, with Twitch, but could you just clarify what, what that relationship is? Uh, technically, Tiltify is a fundraising platform that exists. So similar to your donor drives, your classes, BlackBot, anything that BlackBot's involved with, that's essentially what we do. The difference between Tiltify and all the others is that all these other platforms have some of the tools that we offer that are engagement tools that allows influencers to interact and engage with our communities, but none of these platforms have them all. These are tools that Tiltify has made popular and people can use rewards. They can say, if you donate X amount, I'm going to eat this disgusting bean bills of jelly bean, which could taste like barf. I just have these because I literally did it yesterday and it was awful. You can do things like that. But essentially, you can use the rewards so that people can get that sort of stuff. You have to also remember that influencers are kind of like low-key celebrities in some cases. Some of these influencers have 20, 25 million followers or subscribers on Twitch or YouTube. They have tens of thousands of viewers a night. And a lot of people look at that and they're like, oh my goodness, I, I would love to meet you someday. I would love to do this, do that. So similar to a celebrity, wouldn't you want their autograph if you met them? You can do rewards and you can say, hey, if you donate towards this reward, I only have X amount available. But if you donate this amount, we can send you something. So we've worked with actual mainstream celebrities like Amelia Clark last year. And we were able to do some content there where she, she of course, is known as Daenerys from Game of Thrones. And she had some Funko Pop figures of her character. She had some posters. She had some things like that. She signed them, offered them as rewards, and they were gone before the fundraiser even technically started. We opened up fundraising maybe a day before, they were gone before she went live. Wow. So we have those engagement tools. We have tools like polls. So for myself, when I fundraise, normally I'm attending TwitchCon at the end of each year or near like the fall of each year. And uh, normally I say, what color should I dye my hair? Because I've got black hair. You can tell it's still kind of blonde uh, on the video version. And they always choose some really random outlandish color or a mix of colors. And I've been pink and green and blue and that's something that we can engage with. Right now, there's a function for my last fundraiser that I'm currently doing actively where there are two members of my community that I got involved. They are folks that talk in my chat, that moderate my chat, and everyone hates them in a loving way. So we have a poll going on right now that says, which one of these folks do you want me to remove from the community? Just ban them so they can't talk. They, they can watch the content, but they can't talk for a month. And right now, the, the vote is tied 50-50, but it's raised over... $3,000 right now, just because people are so passionate about that. So you can get your community involved. These are engagement tools that you can see right away in real time. And that's, that's kind of how Tiltify strives. Super interesting. Thank you. So finally, just to wrap things up from both of you, be great to hear 
you know, what is one key thing you want listeners to take away from this conversation? My one key thing would be you're not going to raise a million dollars out the gate. It is a slow burn or a better analogy would be it's like a not steep curb that gets steeper towards the bottom and the snowball gets super big, super quick all of a sudden. But at first, it's going to be hard to start that snowball. And that's okay. But don't give up. Yeah, for me, it's of a similar vein because I definitely agree. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Those types of sayings. Charity fundraising on the internet and working with influencers definitely wasn't built in a day. Might not even be built in a couple years. But getting the boots on the ground, having people involved from your organization that are equally, if not more, passionate about charity fundraising as Ali or myself, that is a huge thing. So getting involved, sending those emails, being authentic, that would ultimately be my point. Fabulous. Thank you both so much. IOF, that's all we've got for today. And, and we hope that was a, a useful conversation. I certainly learned so much. And we, we so appreciate your time and your generous advice and, and your insight to behind the scenes of of such a mega, mega platform. I mean, it's truly mind boggling the scale of Twitch and how much money it's been able to mobilize for causes. So it's really, really wonderful to have your insights. Yeah, thank you again so much for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. That's all we've got for today. First of all, a huge thank you to Ali and to Daniel for their generous time and advice and to the IOF for having us at convention again. It's such an important conference and very cool that it still went ahead virtually this year. So it was very, very wonderful to be a part of. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. And in the meantime, check out IG's website and our media blog for some thought leadership, especially a lot around COVID and, and everything happening in that space. You know where to find us. We're Twitter at IG underscore advisors, our website, impactandgrowth.com. Also, if your organization needs any support with social media, be sure to check out our work at Social Misfits Media. You can find us on Twitter at Misfits Media or our website, socialmisfitsmedia.com. We have a lot of events, virtual, of course, during this time with various platforms. So if you would be of interest, please do check out the event section of our website. Thanks, Erin. And thank you so much for co-hosting with me today. It was so fun to have you on the show. I actually, I was sitting next to Erin in the years when What Donors Want started. So it feels very full circle and very awesome to have you here. I loved being your co-host. I'm also so intrigued by the cooking show. I know. So I'm going to maybe check it out now myself. I know. I know. It definitely did. Yeah. It broadened my horizons for sure about, you know, who uses the platform, what you can do with it. And my goodness, I mean, truly listeners, if you have not explored Twitch, I really encourage you to Google it, you know, from our, our work, obviously, but also in preparation for this episode, went down an incredible, you know, rabbit hole of articles and just success story after success story of influencers raising eye-watering sums for charities that matter to them in just a matter of hours. And it's it's so, so extraordinary that it's it's really worth your time to at least explore if it's right for you and your organization. So finally, of course, a huge thank you to our official sponsor, the Siegel Family Foundation, for their generosity and partnership for making this all possible. Thank you again. Thank you to Twitch. Thank you for listening and see you soon.